This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with credit counselor Chris Burford and Ryder Taft from New Perspectives, who's sitting in for Nancy Lottridge-Anderson this week. So happy Valentine's Day. We're talking money management for couples this morning. Who handles the finances in your household and how does that all work out? Also later in the program, we'll welcome John Highland from BlackRock to talk about the buzzword for 2017 investments, exchange-traded funds. Give us a call this morning with your comments and personal finance questions. The phone number is one eight seven seven. MPB Ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to money at mpbonline.org. So good morning, gentlemen. Hope that you're doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Valentine's Day. Thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, so, Chris, do you, what, what do you do for your wife for Valentine's Day? Well, we usually get up and uh, have a card, and we usually go out and eat. But um, uh, we kind of, and then we'll do a breakfast in the morning. So we kind of did the breakfast cards. and So um, we we got to wait and see. Now, this isn't guaranteed every year because it depends on what's going on with the, with our house. And um, uh, But uh, we probably might just pick up the go order. We're working on some projects now. And um, uh, so it might be a little... A project Valentine meal combination. So, Ryder, any special Valentine Day celebrations? Uh, well, I'm going to a potluck, and it is going to be beet themed. So, I'm not sure if they did that intentionally. <laughs> so, all the food is going to be purple and red. But, uh, but yeah, pot potluck That's with interesting. beets. So if anyone has any good beat recipes, feel free to start lighting up our switchboard right about now. <laughs> so uh, what about uh, some financial news in the news? Well, actually, one thing that's going on, kind of a bigger, broader story with the fiduciary rule. Uh, it was a rule put in place just last year, kind of came into place, basically requiring if somebody gives you advice on your investments, they are required to be working in your best interest, uh, As a, which really made it a little more difficult for some of the commission-based business, uh, some of the commission-based brokerages, commission-based annuities and insurance sales, because there's kind of an inherent conflict of interest there and is trying to eliminate those conflicts of interest, there is word that that is going to be overturned. We're not going to have that rule. We're going to get rid of that rule because there were some companies who just felt it was too hard for them to provide investment advice. Um, But I think the broader, a, a good thing that has come out of it is there's been a lot of change in the way people pay for investment advice and the way people how people know what they're paying for. So I think the trend is there that it is getting better for consumers, and consumers are being more aware of what they're paying, and they're paying less. So I think those are good things, kind of regardless of which way the, the rule goes. So, so I guess if you're in that, would advise that any advice given from uh, someone you're working with to to try to do your own homework and as best you can to to see that it is the best in, for your situation. Exactly. You want to see how you want to see how they're getting paid, who's paying them, and how that might affect the advice they're giving. If if you're the only person paying them, then they are working for you. But if they're working for a big company and maybe they have an incentive to give you a specific product or give you some specific advice, which might not be your best, and even if it's good advice, even if it's a good account or product, um, the idea is it's better if you're the person paying them and you know exactly what their incentives are. 
Uh, so we've got a couple things going on this morning. We're talking a little bit about uh, couples and finance. Uh, it's Valentine's Day, a day to celebrate couples. So we'll talk about uh, how you handle finances in your family. Also, later in the hour, we'll talk to our guest, uh, John Highland from BlackRock, about exchange-traded funds, the buzzword for 2017 investments. Uh, that He'll call in at about 9.30. So if this is something uh, that you're interested in, have some questions about, uh, get ready. We'll, we'll bring him on at 9.30. Uh, Ryder, just a, a brief idea of uh, what exchange-traded funds are. So exchange-traded funds are just another way of putting a whole bunch of stocks in one basket. Uh, traditionally, people have had what you may recognize as mutual funds, and that is essentially you have an account at a company, and they, within that account, they have a fund, which is a basket of stocks, and there will be a manager sitting there picking stocks, buying stocks, selling stocks. Uh, maybe they have a specific kind of target. Maybe they're like, oh, we pick the best of the largest companies, or we pick, we try to pick the best small companies. Um, but more recently, uh, what's what people have been using are exchange-traded funds. People have been getting into passive funds, which is instead of having a manager, you just have a have a rule or a list of stocks, and we say these are the stocks we're going to own for the year, and we just have these rules to tell us which ones to use. And these exchange-traded funds make it easy to buy and sell those during the day. You can buy them through just a brokerage account, but it's a quick way to buy a whole bunch of stocks, diversify so you don't have that individual company risk uh, because the idea is you want to get away from you know, buying one company and having the risk that something goes wrong with that one single company. You want to just, sometimes it's easier just to buy all the stocks and just, you know, save the economy. I hope it goes, goes up and uh, that's what's happening. So uh, if you have a question, again, uh, John will join us at 930. Uh, we are now talking about uh, finances among couples. So if you have, uh, uh, if you'd like to share how you've worked out things I in your household, uh, give us a call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number is 1-877-672-7464. You can send us an email, money at mpbonline.org. So I guess when we talk about finances and couples and that sort of thing, uh, one thing that we've talked about on the program before is really the idea of money management and, and spending habits, those sorts of things really should almost start out, maybe not on the first date or something, but I mean, if there's something that you look like... Uh, this what, is gonna, what's your credit score on the first yeah. date? <laughs> if this looks like something that's developing into a serious relationship, this is something that maybe should be a topic of discussion. Yeah, as you move along and and, and I think uh, each kind of pick up what their habits are mm -hmm. and kind of how they approach money and, um, you know, and conservative or spend a lot, spend a little, um, uh, you know, have you want to tag it. Uh, but as, especially in a couple relationships, they move along and things start getting serious. So that discussion should kind of grow a little bit more and, and um, uh, you know, and if it reaches a point of hey, we're we're in this together for life, let's say it like that, and um, uh, then you know, just then that, and it's not perfect, it's not easy, um, it's sometimes it's frustrating. It has its uh, money can make you happy, sad. Uh, it can be highly emotional at times, but you know, how do you kind of, get you know, I say, continue to try to take a CEO approach? How do you say what well, this is in the best interest of the shop 
you know, and, it, and sometimes it's hard to remove your individual thoughts, but try to keep it at the at that CEO shop level. Unless we're running a company together, uh, and it doesn't have it won't be perfect. It's not perfect day to day or week to week or month to month. But overall, if you can kind of be in that game, I think you can have you know decent success. I think that's a really good point. You're going to notice when you're dating somebody how they tend to be with money, unless you actually spend no time at all with them when you're dating, which is which is weird. Um, but I, I think I think hear me out on this that talking about money and talking about budgets and savings and your retirement goals, I think that can be a lot more romantic than people might expect. Because what you're doing, you're talking about your future. You know, I you know could talk about how you want to save money and, you know, investing in your retirement account is important to you because you can't wait to be able to do this, this, and this in the future. What does your future look like? You know, how is your future going to fit in with that future of mine? So um, maybe that's not the most romantic way to phrase it, but it can be, it can be a very bringing you together topic. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and I'll say, you know, a lot of times when you hear the word budget, everybody just ooh, cringes and goes, oh, no, that means no life. Right. You think it's a restriction. Yeah. And you go, what, you know, what do we do? And I said, no, it, it allows you, I like a lot of times, just say, look, how can I maybe, with the same amount of money, accomplish a little bit more, set some goals around it, and build some rewards in there? You know, if... um uh, you know, Kevin, if we sit here and talk, okay, everybody, all right, let's, I'm just making, keeping it really simple. $5 every two weeks, we're going to stick in an envelope, we're going to come back three months later, then we're all going to go out and, and we're okay. We've saved that money and we're going to eat a nice steak dinner. We, we're just mm-hmm. going to sell, every quarter we're going to do that as, as friends. Is that doable? Sure. And the reward is there. We pay cash and, and, and so that was a goal. We stuck with it. It did work and, and we're all comfortable with it and feel good about it so it it can be rewards in there just it just it, it takes communication talking planning setting goals and, and and implementing those goals but yeah i, I like writer what you were saying here that idea of that if you know as a, a couples want uh to to uh, experience things together so if you put it in that idea of here are my goals or whatever and what are yours let's work together to try, try to get those goals to do what we want to do as a couple uh then finances is certainly an important part and i think that might be uh an easier way a less threatening way to go at it uh when you're when you're just making those sorts of discussions we've got some open phone lines ready for your personal finance questions ready for your sharing with us how you handle uh, finances when your family, your couple, uh, and uh, the number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. You can call us at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we have an email to share. And again, phone lines are open, ready for your questions and comments. We'll be back with more money talks after this. for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. 
For moments in black history, we salute Indasia Ida Mae Holland, best known for her play From the Mississippi Delta. Indasia Holland made her way from poverty and prostitution in the Jim Crow South to civil rights activism and ultimately a Ph.D. from the University of Minnesota. With the help from the civil rights organization SNCC, Indasia bettered her life and the lives of others. Her play From the Mississippi Delta leaves a legacy of making a way from no way. This has been MPB's Moment in Black History. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Chris Burford and Ryder Taft. We are today talking about couples and finances, how couples handle finances, uh, looking for any personal finance questions that you might have for us. And uh, later in the hour, in about 10 minutes, we'll be joined by John Highland from Black Rose, going to be talking about exchange-traded funds. We've got some open phone lines, uh, so if you would like to join in the conversation with a question, give us a call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's one 877 672-7464. You can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. And again, we're wondering, how do you handle the money in your family? How has your, you and your spouse, how have you worked out that? Uh, here is an email that we got that says, uh, I am own a house that's been a rental property for about seven years. However, it was my primary residence for eight years prior. I'm in the process of selling it in the next month or so active duty military and would like to know the tax implications and capital gains. I've been reading about IRS publication 523. Any advice? So I'm going to start this off by saying I'm not a CPA. I'm not an accountant. This is not real tax advice. Uh, the first thing you should do is check with a CPA, check with an accountant, get checked with someone who can give you real tax advice. Uh, that being said, you are reading the correct IRS publication there. I Typically with with a house you're using for rental property, you haven't lived in it for th- at least three years. It is going to be, you're going to pay capital gains. Now, keep in mind, money that you've put into the house, if you've done improvements, you've done major work, you've got the plumbing fixed, you've painted it, you can add that money into the amount you originally paid for it. So that that goes that adds to your cost basis, so that'll that'll make the gain smaller. Uh, but presumably you've been reporting it, you've been paying income taxes on that rental income. So you can't really get around it. The IRS knows that that's not your, your real, your, uh, your home home. Um, one other thing, there may be a, a slight exemption for active duty military, but I, it doesn't look like that's going to get you out of it. Just like, um, just like if it were your primary residence. Uh, remind us what a capital gain is. So when you buy something, a security, a home, an investment, say you say you pay $1,000 for this investment, and then the value of that security goes up over time, and you sell it for $2,000. So you've made, made $1,000 total on that whole transaction. So that is your gain. And if that's typically, if that's over a year, you call it a long-term capital gain. And if it's under a year, you call it a short-term capital gain. With investments, long-term capital gains have preferred tax rates. They're lower tax rates, which is why investments, you know, they're a good vehicle for very long-term savings. 
But the, obviously, then, the, but but the, the the key thing in there is you're going to be taxed on those on right. that, those earnings. Right, you're taxed. On, so so in that example where you paid a thousand dollars and sold it for two thousand dollars, you're only taxed on that thousand dollars you made. You're not taxed on that original thousand dollars because that's your cost basis. That was just that was the money you put in in the first place. So you you don't get taxed on that. Uh, but Chris, your thought was the same. That uh, probably uh, would be a good thing to get a CPA involved. Yeah, in. we'll get a CPA involved. And, and I know, you know, I think the you know, uh, Ryder said something. If you was your house, your personal residence, and I don't know, if it's two or three years of actually living in it, and then after I think you know, there's a I guess we could tag it as an exemption if you did sell it, and there was a gain. Uh, I think in that type of situation, there is a you, you don't pay taxes on that gain. And I, I think that's on personal residence, two or three years. And yes. uh, uh, that's what I know. But you know, on, when you get start, you're talking about rental property and some other things and um, IRS codes. I, you get with the CPA, make sure you cover yourself real well. All right, very good. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines uh, ready to take your personal finance questions, uh, your your thoughts on how you and your spouse handle finances in your home. Uh, and later in the show, we're going to be talking about exchange-traded funds. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464, send an email to money at mpbonline.org. So what are some thoughts about uh, a joint account or a separate account, or perhaps maybe both, maybe a joint account for some things, but each spouse uh, maintaining their own account maybe for, you know, fund money, whatever. What What are your thoughts first, Chris? I think the key is you've got to have communication on the front end. You've yes. got to talk. You've got to communicate. Um uh, yes, over the period of, you know, many, many years of, um, out there, I guess in the kind of the counseling world, it's always between, uh, a couple is you've got to communicate on front end. It, it, if, they, if each other is confident, if they got separate accounts and they're just taking care of business, uh, that's great. But if there's no communication, even if it's a joint account only and that's it and there's no communication, it can kind of get, it can get out of whack pretty quick. And, um, uh, but again, what are the goals? What are the plans? And and, and a lot of times it's hard to say why. Well, you know, financial goals, financial planning, or whatever. It's just it doesn't add up in our world in a way. Some people would say, but but it it does because it does make you kind of focus and makes you communicate. Probably should make you communicate better. What are we objectives we're accomplishing? So, uh, you, you know, it's uh, the big key is though communication on the front end, however it's set up. I I think that's absolutely absolutely it. There's there's no right or wrong way to do this and I've seen it done every which way. I know individuals with multiple savings accounts. So you can do it literally however you want to, but you have to communicate about it. Um one important thing the, the two important things for any financial advice, you just need to make sure that it makes sense for your situation and that you're you're comfortable with it. You you can actually get down. With, you can get the mechanics of it. Um, you know it 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 doesn't make sense. For instance, in a couple where there's a pr- one breadwinner and maybe a stay at home mom or a stay at home dad, it doesn't make sense for them to not the the stay at home parent to not have access to money in some way. Even though even though the other partner is making all of the money and you know they might feel oh you know i'm going to keep this in my account you need to make sure the person taking care of your kid can spend some money mm-hmm. um 
So whatever you do, it needs to make sense for both your situation and what you're what you're looking for going forward. You know, I was doing a seminar here a number of years ago, and in the group, whether he or she or she or he, didn't make a difference either way. But couple and one made, and I'm just use I'm just going to use round figures here, okay? Uh, one made one thousand, one made a thousand dollars, other one made fifteen hundred dollars, okay? The one that was in that conference was making fifteen hundred dollars, and they said, well, since I make more money, I should be able to spend more. And I said, well, I mean, now, if y'all have communicated that on the front end and y'all are in agreement, then that's between y'all now. But, you know, what I was just is kind of say, okay, we're in this together. We're focusing on getting these things done, accomplished, taking care of business. Because let me explain something. It said, what if you're making 1500 and the other person is making 1000 What if the $1,000 person got a raise and went to 3000 <laughs> That means they get to spend a lot more. You know what they looked at me and said, oh, no, that's not going to happen. So, <laughs> so I said, okay. But you see, my point is, you know, and, 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 you know work together, set your goals, and, work, and if y'all work together and you see you're having small steps of success, it does make a difference. I like that. Oh, no, no, that's another situation entirely there. Uh, we've got a caller on the line, so why don't we say good morning to Sean in Vicksburg. You're on the air, Sean. Go ahead, please. Good morning. I have a uh, lump sum cash savings of about 60000 Uh I have a primary mortgage at the 15-year, 3%, and I owe about one sixty. Should I take that money and buy down the uh, principal? No. All right. Does that answer it? Happy Valentine's Day. Don't do that. Um, what else? Oh, that's it. I'm, it, I'm pretty debt. <laughs> you, uh, that's a that's a great rate on that mortgage. Um, and the, a couple of things. Are you still working, Sean? Uh, yes, I am. So, um, and you don't have a problem paying your mortgage out of your paycheck. Not at all. Okay. Well, then there, there's no problem. Um, a couple of things, what that money represents. And a lot, of, a lot of people ask that question. That is a very common question. And a couple of things to think about. What if the worst happened? What if you lost your job and all of a sudden you, you didn't have that $60,000 because you'd paid it down? Well, the next month you'd be in default on that, on that mortgage. I mean, sure, it'd be a smaller mortgage, but you wouldn't be able to pay on it. Uh, whereas if you lost your job now, you'd be able to pay on that mortgage for a couple of years, still eat, go on a little vacation every year, and you'd be fine for the next few years. Mm-hmm. Um, so so kind of consider that. There's That rate is very low. Mortgage, generally people refer to as good debt. Um, it's, it's If it's not a variable rate, you know, it's going to be very predictable. And, you know, that money can be kind of, your assurance that you're going to be fine. Gotcha, gotcha. You not, invest anything at all in that money. Just let it sit there and be happy. That just depends on that depends on a lot more about your financial situation. Generally speaking, if that's not money you're going to need for a very long time, you can start investing it absolutely. But that depends on you know your time horizon, your goals, uh, what kind of what other financial needs you might have. But typically for money, you're not going to need to touch for a long time. You can start investing it. Yeah, and I would suggest this too, and it sounds like, you know, like I said, Sean, you kind of got things in order. And um, you said you got 15 years left on 3%. All right, I agree 100% with it, Ryder. That's a great rate. Um, I, I would say to to maybe say, well, I, I kind of feel like I want to have some success with a mortgage. Maybe run a run an amortization that maybe said, "What's it going to take to pay it off in twelve years?" Maybe, and if it's a, and yeah. does that mean you're going to save a lot of money? Maybe not, but at least you say, "You know what? I've got a goal, 
instead of 15. I'm going to try for 12. And I feel like I'm getting somewhere here. And as Ryder said, yeah. you got your other money uh, invested, banked, whatever. And you're kind of winning in both ways. Yeah. Yeah, just sh- shave off a little little bit of payment mm-hmm. every every month, every year. Okay. All right. All right, John, thanks, uh, thanks for that call. You know, another thing that we've uh, often talked about in terms of, of that money and, and uh, invest some of it, but again, you do want to have, uh, Chris, that emergency fund, some, some, something ready cash on hand. Don't put it all in, in investments where you can't get it should you need it. Yeah, absolutely. Things are always happening out there, and, and <laughs> things are always changing. So uh, you never know when, when, when um, you know, when I guess I can, well, big life events happen or big ticket expenses. You know, in our world, it was like, you know, uh, break up the family unit and major medical um, job loss, the whole combination that you go, okay, you know, what what reserves do I have in place? How do I manage through this? Uh, and then, and, and I've seen it happen, what you just said. Somebody took a lot of money out of something to pay pay off the house. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, they they went through a job loss, and they and went. They needed oh, that money I back. Need that money, and I've seen it happen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they said, "I wished I would have just banked that cash, and sat tight and invested it, and just kept paying that mortgage because it was a competitive yeah. rate." And they said, "I'll I'll deal with this, but at least I know I got reserves." Yeah. And there are situations where if you have a bunch of cash and you have, say, credit card debt, you know, rolling around at twenty percent, pay that off. There's no yeah. sense in keeping that around if you have the cash to pay it off. Um, but don't don't make yourself destitute by paying off your debt. Mm-hmm. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We need to take another quick break. Uh, we are talking today about how couples handle money, but also after the break, we're going to welcome John Hyland from BlackRock into the program uh, to help us understand more about exchange-traded funds. So if you have uh, a question about ETFs, you can give us a call. We'll still take a personal finance question throughout the hour as well. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Email the show money at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. standing member of MPB Think Radio. We appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. Radio. Good morning. I'm Kevin Farrell here with credit counselor Chris Burford and from New Perspectives, Ryder Taft. He's sitting in this week for Nancy Lodridge-Anderson. In just a moment, we're going to welcome John Hyland from BlackRock uh, on the air to help us understand more about exchange-traded funds. But we do have a call on the line first. So let's go to Jackson. Joel has called in today. Good morning, Joel. Go ahead. Good morning. Uh, I have, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm sort of in the beginning of a new business and um we've done a little better than i had hoped uh, which is which is great but we're 
we're trying to figure out what to do now with the savings that we had. And so my question is similar to the last question in some ways. I have a lot of student loans, um, and some of them are at 6.8%. Some of them are at a fixed rate that's lower than that, and some of them are at variable rates. Um, and I'm wondering if I should go ahead and sort of pay off or, or make a significant payment down on the student loans. And then, you know, um, uh, the next question is related um, in a way, which is I have, I'm living in a family house with a, a number of other family members and I don't own the house, but we, my family would like to build an addition onto the house. But since we don't own the house, I'm just curious if you guys had any ideas about how to make an arrangement like that work to protect everybody financially and uh, have something that makes sense. Um, on the second part of question about the house, my suggestion is don't do it unless you own it. It's, if it's in your name, the deed of trust, everything, then you've got a right to do anything Let's just say you want to that house in a way that you whatever you want to add addition, but if you don't own it, because you don't if you don't own it, then it, I, I, to best of my knowledge, there's not any way contractually you can probably um, uh, work things out. Um, even if they said, well, we'll we'll um, uh, we'll work this out and some way I'll try to put your name on the house or anything, I, I just wouldn't do it. it just it can get too messy. Um, it just I just leave it alone. And if you're going to take that kind of money and do an addition, then I would say maybe could you take that money and look for a good investment out there for yourself. And now, now again, I don't know what kind of you know. Usually, an add-on might be you know could ten thousand dollars could be thirty thousand dollars, but it might be a good. So well, let's go find another piece of property, another house. It might not be a big house, but put a down payment on it. We own it ourselves. We can do what we want to with it. It's a good investment, and we don't have any 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 opportunity of things getting messy. Um, I, I think messy is a great way to describe it. We get I hear questions like this all the time. You know, people saying, "Oh, you know, I'll buy a house with my brother." You know, we're roommates right now, and we're paying this much, and we could pay this much on a mortgage. It's just like. No, that's not a great idea. Uh, if y'all are married, yes. But keep in mind, joint ownership of something is a legal structure that that is. Uh, and if that legal structure doesn't match up with what the, the real world looks like, that's problematic. So if the legal ownership of that home is not yours, it it could get messy. And everyone thinks, oh, you know, it's we've got the best family situation in the world. We're the most loving family in the world. I have seen all of those families, and I have seen them after someone dies or after someone gets divorced or after someone makes a lot of money or loses a lot of money. Things change. Uh, and back to the first part of your question, without putting all of your numbers out here on the radio for everybody, uh, you should probably see find a fee-only financial advisor, someone who can look at everything you have and give you, give you a much better assessment. It, uh, some general rules that I look at, student loans, especially variable rate student loans, are kind of in that area where it starts making sense to use cash to pay them off. Uh, 
I mean, the previous caller with the 3% mortgage, man, that's one of the best interest rates he's ever going to get. And he should keep that loan for as long as he can because that's that's real cheap money. Uh, your student loans are a little more expensive. They're not in credit card territory where I just scream at you to pay them off. Uh, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to keep a ton of cash. Um, but you did say you're an entrepreneur and also from your living situation, it sounds like having cash on hand is going to be a very valuable thing to you. So keep in mind the value of the cash isn't just, oh, I'm earning 0.0001% interest. The value of the cash is if something happens, I'm still okay. The value of the cash is if I need something else, I'll be able to get it. So if you get rid of that cash think about what you're giving up. Think about that flexibility. And and so that's going to kind of guide how I would look at it. Um, if, if, you know, if you came into my office and showed me yourself, I, that's how I would look at that cash. As an entrepreneur, you know, unless your money is coming in on a guaranteed contract, a new business, you know, you can do great one month and you can do terrible the next. You can do great one year and then be out the next. Um, so that all, all of that's going to depend on a lot more than you can give us just over the radio. So find, find a financial advisor quickly. All right, uh, Joel, thanks for your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We're going to welcome onto the program now uh, jo- uh, John Highland, who is the manager, managing director and head of BlackRock's ETF Strategies. John's going to tell us about exchange-traded funds. John, thanks for joining us on the program. Uh, thanks for having me. Good morning. Uh, if you would, tell us a little bit about your background in, in finance. Yeah, sure. Uh, for the last 20 years, uh, I've worked on the asset management side of the business with mutual funds, separate accounts, and exchange-traded funds. Uh, over the last nine years, I've worked for BlackRock within our exchange-traded fund division, uh, focused on ETF and index investments, and working specifically with both the private wealth as well as the institutional uh, communities in helping them shape uh, their investment policy and helping them deliver investment solutions to their end clients, which could be individuals, uh, it could be financial advisors, uh, it could also be uh, different uh, entities like uh, pensions, foundations, endowments, uh, or asset managers. Uh, we're going to be talking with John throughout the rest of the hour, so if you uh, want to know more about exchange-traded funds or if you still have a personal finance question of a general nature for us, give us a call because the phone lines are open at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show money at mpbonline dot org. John, are ETFs a relatively new type of uh, investment strategy? You know, I think first off, it's a great question. I think uh, on the surface it might appear so, but actually their 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 roots go back to uh, nineteen ninety three when the first ETF uh, was launched uh, on the uh, public exchanges here in the United States. And uh, during those first seven years, um, about uh, $80 billion found their way into ETFs. Um, but since 2000, um, what we've seen is an explosion of interest um, for both in- individuals and institutions. Uh, and today, there's a little bit over $3.5 trillion wow. in exchange-traded funds. 
So, uh, happy Valentine's Day, John. Um, one, <laughs> one thing, one thing I've noticed about ETFs is they're often touted as a lot more tax efficient than the traditional mutual funds. Uh, why is that? Why, why are they more tax efficient? And are there, are there times when they're not tax efficient? Um, I know we were talking about capital gains earlier. Mutual funds used to have capital gains distributions. Is that possible for ETFs? And, you know, why, why for tax reasons might someone want to do ETFs and what should they watch for? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it's a question that comes up a lot uh, it, it, across all circles of investors, new investors and, and seasoned investors. Um, I think the best way to talk about that first is just to explain for the audience that an in, in exchange-traded fund, an ETF, um, is built like a mutual fund. So it holds uh, a diversified grouping of individual stocks or individual bonds. Um, so it behaves and is set up under the uh, 1940 Investment Company Act, just like a mutual fund, but it provides uh, continuous pricing uh, on the exchanges like a stock. And so you have these, these two attributes um, that are quite attractive and favorable for many investors. Um, now, specific to your question, what makes ETFs uh, more tax efficient than some other traditional structures that are out there in the marketplace? Um, the simple answer is that all of the underlying securities um, that are in an ETF um, are delivered in kind to the ETF provider, and, and then they are redeemed in kind from the ETF provider. And that in-kind exchange, which is known as, as uh, either creation, uh, you're creating shares of the ETF, or it's known as redemption, you're redeeming shares of the ETF. Um, under the Internal Revenue Code, um, those are known as in-kind tax-free exchanges. So that's the first layer of tax efficiency um, that is afforded to an ETF uh, under the Internal Revenue Code. And how that differs for, for any of the callers or listeners on the line is that with a mutual fund, the, the actual delivery uh, of the securities or the redemption of the securities um, is actually known as a cash create or a cash redeem which means that those are potentially creating taxable events um, every time shares are bought or sold from a mutual fund. That makes sense. Um, so that's really the contrast. Now, there's a couple other layers, but let me, let me just pause there to make sure um, that, that they're, we're all on the same page. Yeah, so that makes sense. Basically, basically with a mutual fund, it's as if you're – it's possibly as if you're doing the, a sale – yourself almost you could think of it that way but the etf you're just uh as it grows it's just swapping for the same thing and so there's there's no tax implication because it's not as if a sale is going on underneath you know that's that's a good way of looking at it and and i'm sort of glad you summarized it that way because um i think some confusion in general with tax efficiency and you mentioned it as related to capital gains um, can be best explained um, in the following way. Um, ETF shares are, are created and then they're bought and sold by investors um, actually at the exchange, so on the various exchanges here in the United States and, and around the world. Um, for mutual funds, uh, for instance, they're created um, at the mutual fund company 
And that very creation is, 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 as I said earlier, a cash in and a cash out creation redemption. And so because of that, what happens there is that not only are you exposed to some potential uh, taxable implications every time securities are bought or sold, but under the Internal Revenue Code, um, you are exposed to everyone's um, trading behaviors who owns that mutual fund. Uh, and that's really the silver lining or the um, maybe potentially what I would argue is uh, one of the hidden benefits that people may not know that are listening um, to the line right now is that with ETFs, you're controlling your own tax destiny because you're actually purchasing or redeeming your own shares and you're not being forced to participate with other investors um, in the format I described earlier with the mutual fund. Now, one other point, uh, Ryder and Chris, that's important because you mentioned capital gain distributions. Um, ETFs, just like mutual funds, can and will have capital gain distributions. The reason they're substantially less and much more infrequent is partially because what I just described, but the other reason is that exchange-traded funds, for the most part, follow an index methodology, and that index methodology has very little turnover and very little trading involved. And so when you compare it to potentially some other uh, investments, and we'll use, for instance, an, an actively run mutual fund, that may have a lot more turnover or trading in the portfolio, and every time that occurs, there's the possibility of a of a taxable event, which at the end of the calendar year would be reflected in a in a capital gain distribution. So, so that's another layer uh, of added benefit that ETFs enjoy is the infrequent trading and the infrequent changes of the actual underlying securities, which helps allow them to be much more tax efficient. But once again, they do and they can at times deliver a, a capital gain distribution. So I just want all the listeners to be aware that they're not going to be ever 100% tax-free, but historically, whether we put it on our website or it's reported by third parties, you'll notice that they are, they are highly tax-efficient relative to a lot of the other structures out there. Awesome. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue with uh, John Hyland, and also we've got a caller on the line. So this is uh, Money Talks. We're talking a little bit about exchange-traded funds as the show ends, uh, but we're also looking for your personal finance questions. The phone number to join the program is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to money at mpbonline.org. Back to wrap up Money Talks after this break. Information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. 
Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. It's the new administration's first 100 days, and the news is coming fast. Protesters arrived here. Keystone XL Pipeline. The Affordable Care Act. Refugee admissions for 100. All Things Considered will be here to help you make sense of it all. Listen every day. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with credit counselor Chris Burford. And from New Perspectives, Ryder Taft is sitting in for Nancy Lodridge-Anderson this week. We're talking uh, on the phone with John Hyland from BlackRock. He's telling us more about exchange-traded funds. We've got a caller on the line. Merle has been holding for us. Merle, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Uh, yeah, um, I guess it's a pretty general question. I'm not really sure. Uh, I'm 26 years old. I'm 100% debt-free. I own everything that I have. And I have $10,000. Uh, thanks to the military and the deployment, I've got everything paid off. But now I have $10,000 that I don't know what to do with. And I was thinking about doing some sort of investment or something like that, but I have no idea where to start. What a great problem to have. $10,000 you just don't know <laughs> what to do with. You don't have any debt, nothing. Um, well, uh, you you can now get started investing. I presume you're, you're, you're still working. Are you still working with the military or working elsewhere? Uh, Actually, now I'm going to college, but I get paid okay. to go to college through the military. So I, by going to college, I actually still have enough money to pay all my bills, and I don't have to work. Okay, well, since you're still in college, I might not recommend getting just going headlong into investing. Um, but it, it is possible now, and uh, this will be a great question for John, especially with exchange-traded funds and how they're much easier to access now through a variety of platforms. It, they are, it is a good way to dip your toe in the water. Um, but that being said, you know, just with your financial situation, being in college, even if that's all paid for, and presumably that's being paid for without student loans, when you get out of college, you might need cash for a couple months. It is, it is still going to be a valuable thing to have some cash on hand. Um, but absolutely, once you start getting an income and have all this extra money, then you can go all in with investing. But maybe just dipping your toe in, and I think John might be able to... Um, well, I was also going to say uh, on another point of that, I have another ten thousand dollars that's in a savings account as an emergency fund. What? what this is another great problem to have. <laughs> you just you just found another ten thousand dollars. This is fantastic. Um, well, like I said, uh, dipping your toe in the water with investing. Um, there's a lot of platforms nowadays that that allow you to invest in exchange traded funds. You can do it on your own through just a discount brokerage like a Charles Schwab, like a TD Ameritrade, or there are a lot of platforms. They're calling them robo advisors that will you know ask you some questions and kind of give you some guidance and for a very 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 low fee. Uh, man, basically manage an account for you. And there's a lot of those. Um, one, the big one is uh, is probably Betterment uh, or Wealthfront. But um, those are a great way to get kind of get started and get established investing. So, John, do you think uh, ETFs are a good uh, investment uh, for, for people just getting into the uh, financial investing? Yeah, it's 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 a great question, and uh, as listening to you know the caller, it made me think a little bit about this uh, uh, ETF Pulse survey that we did, and um, what we found was that most of the millennials and many of the Gen Xers um, are actually quite comfortable with looking at a broad-based um, core ETF investment to get started, 
And so something, you know, for the caller that would be, you know, something to consider is uh, looking at a way to grab the total U.S. market exposure of the stock market um, for that portion of his money that he would refer to as maybe a longer term uh, investment need, you know, something five years plus in, 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 uh, uh, in, in his mind. And whether it's the total U.S. stock market or whether it's just looking at the largest 500 companies in the U.S., um, those, those can be um, uh, exposures with an ETF that are very easy to, to put into an investment account for him uh, with some of the different firms you mentioned. And I think most importantly, very cost efficient. Um, you know, for, for us, uh, the total U.S. stock market iShare, um, the, the ticker symbol is I-T-O-T, um, it, 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 it costs three one-hundredths of one percent. Um, so if you, if you think about that uh, in, in, in terms that we use every day, we'll call that three basis points. Um, but that's three dollars on a, on a $10,000 investment. So it's unbelievably affordable, and it's a great way to capture the large, mid, and small U.S. companies um, in, in a very diversified way for a beginning investor. All right, uh, Merle, so yeah, it looks like uh, that might be a way to go, so you might want to investigate exchange-traded funds, but I think uh, both uh, Chris and Ryder uh, think that you're in a pretty good situation with that uh, the savings account and then that money to go, so uh, kudos to you for uh, working on your finances so early. It's, it's always encouraging to see you know young folks uh, take an active role in, in their financial future. Yeah, I mean, the future's bright for them, it really is. Yeah. All right, uh, John, thanks very much for joining us. We've run out of time for the hour, but uh, we appreciate your helping us out. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from you, our listeners. If you need to hear today's show or a previous show, uh, one way that you can do that is to visit mpbonline.org slash talks. There's also the MPB Public Radio app. You can download that for your smartphone and listen to MPB Think Radio on your schedule. Our show is produced by Sam Wells, and our call screener was Java Chapman. So for Ryder Taft and Chris Burford and our guest John Hyland, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned. Up next, it's In Legal Terms, followed by Relatively Speaking at 11. We'll be back next Tuesday at 9 for another Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio.